You're listening to The Collective Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.ca.za. We could go home after that worship. <laughs> I struggle to title this preach. Um, so I went with a whole lot of words, and you can pick one that stands out for you. Uncomfortable? Overwhelmed? Stuck? Don't worry, it's going to get better. Disrupted? Disturbed? And if you've said any of these phrases this year, then I think this is for you. Help God, this feels hard. This is uncomfortable, I want out. This is not what I thought it would be, this is not what I thought the year would be, this is not where I thought I would be, or how I thought the year would go. Did I miss the bus? God help, I feel stuck. And now what? Anybody relate? If you don't, you can go up to kids' ministry and help. <laughs> Anybody out there? Good. I'm going to start in Deuteronomy 8, because I feel like it's a key scripture for us in unpacking this. Um, in Deuteronomy 8, Moses is addressing the Israelites. He's recapping the last 40 years in captivity in the wilderness. Um, and interestingly, what should have taken 11 days, what should have been an 11-day journey in distance, took 40 years. And they should have arrived at what we now know as Pentecost, which they called then the the Feast of the Weeks. But they didn't. It took 40 years. Um, So I started kind of daydreaming and putting myself... There's something I'm reading about that the Jews do. It's called Midrash. Do you know about it? They basically start to um, pull themselves into the story that they're reading. They pull themselves into Scripture and they begin to imagine. And I began to imagine that we decided just before Christmas that Joburg was not our promised land and that actually Durban was our promised land, that's where I come from, and um, that we told our kids that if we walk on average 11 hours plus a day, we could get to Durban in 11 days, Um, and it would be fun because Durban was our promised land. Um, So we start walking and we get lost. We, We wander and we wander and we wander, and we're in our mid to late 30s, and we arrive at that point, if you've ever driven to Durban and you get to the pavilion, where you can just begin to see the sea. There's like this glimmer. There's banana trees in the distance and palm trees and this glistening of the sea as you're coming over Westville into Durban. And I imagine that we were in our late 70s, early 80s, and the Lord said, sorry guys, you don't get to go with Sam and Rubes. <laughs> I know, very dramatic, right? Um, and I wondered what we would say to them, and I, and I started to put myself in the space where Moses is standing. It's pretty intense on the edge of what the Lord had promised him and what he had given his life to, to say, sorry, you're not going in. Have a good look and remind these people so that they don't carry on messing up the rest of their lives, who I am and what we've gone through. So I'm going to read Deuteronomy 8 to you from the message. Um, And if you want to, you can close your eyes or you can join me. I'm trying to get into a habit of closing my eyes when someone reads scripture and allowing myself to get lost in it. But from the message it says... Keep and live out the entire commandment that I'm commanding you today so that you'll live and prosper and enter the, and own the land that God promised to your ancestors. Remember every road that God led you on for those 40 years in the wilderness, pushing you to the limits, testing you so that you would know what you are made of, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He put you through hard times. He made you go hungry and then he fed you with manna, something neither you nor your parents knew anything about so that you would learn that men and women don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that comes from God's mouth. 
Your clothes didn't wear out. Your feet didn't blister in 40 years. You learned deep in your heart that God disciplines you in the same way a father disciplines his child. So it is paramount that you keep the commands of God, your God, and you walk down the roads he shows and reverently respect him. God is going to bring you into a good land with brooks and rivers and springs and lakes, streams out of the hills and through the valleys. It's a land of wheat and barley and vines and figs and pomegranates and olives and oil and honey. It's a land where you never go hungry, always food on the table, always a roof over your head. It's a land where you get iron out of rocks and mine copper from the hills. And after a meal, when you're satisfied, bless God, your God for the good he's given you. And make sure you don't forget God, your God, by keeping his commandments, his rules, and his regulations that I command you today. Make sure that when you eat and you're satisfied and you build beautiful homes and you settle and you see your herds and your flocks flourish and more and more money comes in, watch your standard of living go up. Make sure you don't become so full of yourself and your things that you forget your God. The God who delivered you from Egyptian slavery. The God who led you through that huge and fearsome wilderness. Those desolate, arid badlands, crawling with fiery snakes and scorpions. That God who gave you water gushing out of a hard rock. That God who gave you manna to eat in the wilderness. Something your ancestors had never heard of. In order to give you a taste of the hard life to test you so that you would be prepared to live well in the days ahead of you. If you start thinking to yourself, hmm, I did this all by myself. I'm rich, it's mine. Think again. Remember God, your God, gave you the strength to produce all this wealth so as to confirm the covenant that he promised to your ancestors today. Such a powerful piece of scripture. Um, There's a few things that I want to say about that scripture because if you've got a warped or faulty sense of who the Father is, you can read through Deuteronomy, you can read through the Old Testament and you can feel like he is one hang of a God instead of really knowing who he is. I read from that, my lenses tell me that this is a God who wants people who don't die, people who flourish, um, that he wants people who, who get what he promised that he wanted to give them, that he is a God who supernaturally sustains his people, that his, he is a God who is so committed to giving his people belonging and identity that he had to take them out of that place and completely redefine them because 400 years of slavery had done some serious stuff to their generation. This is a God who wanted to show them that they belonged and that he would discipline them like a father disciplines the one that he loves. And he wasn't a God who was carrot dangling a promised land in front of them. He was showing them that he was a God who could be trusted. And he was saying to them again and again in Deuteronomy, it blew my mind as I've just been reading it, remember, remember, remember how this word remember comes up. It's like the Lord was saying, build it into the fabric of your life till you just can't help but forget. Talk about the goodness of God so much. Talk about what he's brought you through till it's seeping out of your every conversation. When you're having a meal, you can't help but giving thanks. It's not some religious practice that we say grace. It actually comes out of a place of, oh my goodness, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for who you are. Um, He's warning here about pride and self-sufficiency. He's saying, you're going to come into a land. You're going to come into places where you're going to think, yes, I've done well for myself. Don't. Don't go there. That'll ruin you. It'll crush you. It'll hurt you. It'll destroy you. But remember the one who pulled you right out of slavery, who yanked you out of the things you couldn't have yanked yourself out of, who brought you through the wilderness, got you through the impossible, supernaturally provided, made something appear out of nothing. Remember that God. That whole scripture for me, hard stuff is humbling. But despite hard stuff, God blesses. Adversity is not God abandoning us. And some lessons are best learnt through trials and understood through perspective. This was about identity. And obedience preceded understanding here. 
they had to go, but they didn't always understand. And that for me is something that's come up again and again and again this year. You go, you move forward, you move forward, but you don't always get all the answers. You don't always understand. I want to recap that amazing video that Rob showed us last week. For those of you who missed it, um, Gina in our community, her father lives on a farm in the, the Karoo, near the Karoo, in the Montague. Montague. And he sent a video of the first rains coming in 10 days or so ago. Yeah. yeah. Sunday. The Sunday, ago. yeah, so two weeks. Um, and Rob shared it with all of us, and he just said, wow, guys, this is actually something we're sensing in the spirit. There is, there's the first rains are coming after a drought. There's stuff and areas where the Lord is suddenly just, you're just going to see poof, the Lord's doing something. So I just want to show that video for the benefit of those who didn't see it. Amazing, hey? Um, what stuck out to me when I saw that, other than, oh my goodness, when God starts doing something, you just can't, <laughs> can't be anywhere but in the flow of it, um, was all the debris and all the stuff that came up, which I thought was really interesting. And I think, I think that's what happens. Um, I think don't be surprised in the season as the Lord begins to pour out His Spirit, um, where suddenly it's uncomfortable because I don't know that was in there. I didn't know that that got in, got in my way. Um, and it feels like the Spirit wants to move and there's stuff that's settled in all of our lives that needs to move too. Um, in other words, God wants to bring about change and change can sometimes be quick, just like that, it changed. And suddenly the river starts to flow and transition follows, but transition takes time and transformation is where, where in, in the the seedbed of transition is where tr true transformation can happen. So I want to ask you today, what is settled in your river that needs to go as the Spirit moves through? Don't be surprised if there's this uprooting, this unveiling of stuff that maybe we, we didn't realize was in our hearts and in our lives. And the Lord's heart is that we move forward. It's not that we get stuck. Um, he wants us to be a free people, to move into the new unhindered so we can embrace the new and chuck out the old that we can fully embrace our promised lands. In the Old Testament, the promised land is a place. In the New Testament, the promised land is a person. It's Jesus. And we either embrace all of who he is in us and through us and yield more and more to him with zero resistance to him, or we don't. Are we still saved? Absolutely. <coughs> but are we free people? Are we taking hold of all that's ours? No, maybe not necessarily. 
Our destination is Jesus. As we plant our feet firmly in the promised land of Jesus, all those things get added unto us. It's Matthew 6. But first and most importantly, seek, aim, strive at, go after his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing, his way of being right, his attitude and his character, and then all those things get added unto you. So what I started off with, those words, uncomfortable, overwhelmed, stuck, disruptive, disturbed, I'm talking about a divine discomfort. And it's good, because it's showing us that there's more freedom for those of us who are in Christ, and there's more for us to live in. To live in. And I think sometimes in charismania, freedom can become a cheap word when it's a costly word. Our lives were paid with, with, with blood, bought with blood, dreamt of by our Father, formed in a family of the Trinity. Freedom is a big deal. Um, you are precious and holy, and we want to live lives worthy of that precious and holy calling. We don't want to waste our freedom. Some of the gunkers in the river is proof that there are spaces in us that aren't yet free. Um, Kirsty prayed an interesting prayer last week in, in the prayer meeting before the meeting. She prayed, um, and it stuck with me the whole week. She said, help us to move into this next season, Lord, because you, you're doing something new. You, you, the reign of your spirit is coming um, without having to have definitives on everything that happened in the season gone by. And I thought that was so interesting. Sometimes we, we want an answer um, to everything that has happened so that we can make sense of. And some areas of your life you have to give over to, them, to mystery. You will not understand everything on this side of eternity. Like I said to you, I've been reading Deuteronomy. And what jumps out at me, 400 years of slavery. That's generational business right there. Um, and then 40 years in a wandering state. Talk about a community needing deliverance. But what became so incredible to me as I started to just dive into the scripture was one deliverance wasn't enough. Taking them out of Egypt, it wasn't enough. There was still like another deliverance that needed to happen as they walked into the promised land. While they were in that wilderness, they needed a, a deliverance from what was going on inside of them. That They were so deeply ingrained in a slave mindset. And isn't that how we can be sometimes? So we're not talking about an issue of salvation. That's like um, in Hebrews, that's the milkies. Like, here's the body. That's the basics, you know? Um, I, I love that, that cheeky part of, of Hebrews where he's talking to a community who's not actually walking into the fullness that they should be walking into. And he's saying, I've got much to say about this, but you're actually hard of hearing and you've become dull. <laughs> let's, let's go on to, to meaty issues. Let's go. Let's, like, let's get our knives and forks and take off our diapers. We want to talk about this. This is what we want to talk about. This is the meaty stuff. Watch out. You can take the slave out of Egypt, but it's something else to take Egypt out of the slave. That wondering, that stuckness had a lot to do with the second deliverance because there was a lack of identity. They didn't know who they were. For years they had just been slaved. Slaves. So you can read through Deuteronomy and go like, Jeepers, why is he giving them so many instructions? Because he was rebuilding every single part of their lives. Like, I'm giving you a whole new definition of who you are. It's huge. Um, getting rid of the slave-mindedness. Getting rid of the poverty mindsets. That scripture in Hebrews that I mentioned, Hebrews 5. We've got much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're dull of hearing. How funny. Imagine Rob said to us, you guys are dull of hearing. Um... He's basically saying, you should be further along the road than this. Why are you still stuck here? Seriously, let's move on. <laughs> it's a nice gentle rebuke, I think. Um, it's spiritual baby stuff. 
He's pouring out something new now, and he's saying, I waken in a man and woman that's solid and strong and that's ready to pursue all the things of Jesus. Because he knows that there's deep satisfaction for our souls in there. I was thinking while I was preparing this, you you know where kids get this line from when you're leaving your suburb and you're about to do your eight-hour trip to the beach for holidays and like you're not even out your suburb and they're like, are we there yet? (laughs) It's echoing through the ages from the Israelite children. (laughs) Imagine how many times they asked in 40 years, are we there yet? Um, So next time you get frustrated with your kids, just be grateful you're not a 13th century BC Israelite mommy or daddy. Um, But you know what that question is really revealing? It's revealing an immature heart um, or a microwave generation that wants destination without journey. A generation so at risk of carefully curating their social media persona and filtering their photos that they fail to cultivate a private life with Jesus. Or learn to live for the audience of one because they're so caught up, their hearts have been stolen by the likes of millions of people they don't even know. It's another preach. Um, This transition out of the wilderness into the river and into the promises of God for us, individually and collectively, it's a vulnerable space. I realize that. I realize that as I look at this year and we've, we've seen the Lord wanted to do some things and he wanted to change some stuff in our lives and in our family and in Rose's work and, and we had changed, the change actually came quickly but it's now in walking out the transition that we're like, oh, this is vulnerable. This is vulnerable. All the stuff's coming up. And in that vulnerable place, um, I love what Kirst says on the heart journey. She says, don't struggle snuggle with the Lord. Instead of fighting him, Sean Bolt talks about it. He says, the people of maturity are no longer at war with God and with themselves and with others. They're at peace. Stop struggling and snuggle in. Pull in closer. Be in community. Come and say, here I am. I'm struggling. This is what I need. Pray for me. So oh, we love Wednesday nights. That's part of what is the heartbeat of, of, of this for us is people are coming in and saying, walk with me. I don't want to do this alone. Walk with me. Remind me who I am. We're reminding each other who we are. Don't hide. Don't wallow. Hold on to the promises and don't go and birth Ishmael's. How do we cope with change? It's resilience. Brene Brown talks about this. She says, we have to have a tolerance for discomfort. Sometimes we have to do tough things and feel our way through tough situations and have tough emotions. But that's really hard when you don't know how to be in touch with your emotions because you weren't really even taught or you don't even know that you have more than one emotion, happy or sad. Excellent time to punt the heart retreat. <laughs> if you're in this community and you haven't done the heart journey, I want to say, please come and do the heart journey. Come and catch the heartbeat of what is the heartbeat of all of our um, dreams for this community is that we, we see people who are whole, who are living wholehearted lives, who are secure in who they are in the Trinity, who are secure in who they are in themselves, and who are flourishing out of that place, submitted, surrendered people, because those are the most dangerous people in the kingdom. This rain that we're talking about, this outpouring, it's an interruption in our lives. And interruptions are invitations. Invitation to leave one season behind and move into another. I won't put you on the spot, but you know who you are. I said to someone in this community recently, I looked over at them during worship and I was like, I said, you're so light. You're just light. And I was like, it's not that you were totally like all heavy before, but you're light. And as I was saying it, I could feel the Holy Spirit saying more, carry on. Like sometimes you start seeing something in someone and you just carry on speaking. And I was like, oh, it's good that you light because when you light, you can move. The Lord can move with you. He can take you places. Isn't that true? It reminded me of a picture I had once um, of a friend 
I saw her on a dusty road, and it looked like a, she was walking out of almost like a, like a slum, and she was walking towards the city of lights on a hill, and she had a big suitcase in her hands, and as she started to walk faster and faster, as her heart was like captivated by that city on a hill, st the suitcase opened, and stuff started falling out the suitcase, trinkets and clothes and baggage, stuff, and she, couldn't, she didn't care. She was so captivated by the city on the hill, and, and suddenly there was nothing left in the suitcase and she just let go of the suitcase and she just started to charge and she started to run. And I remember sharing it with her and shortly after that they, she actually moved to Dubai and she said it was so funny because Dubai is called the city of lights. But that picture's never left me because that picture is when you get a glimpse of who he is and who you are, you don't need to hold on to a lot of the stuff that you've dragged around in your suitcase your whole life or that your parents dragged around for 400 years in their slave mindset, right? May we adopt a heart like David <laughs> in the heart of, of the wilderness in his life, running away from someone who was trying to kill him. He shouts, God, you are my God. I will seek you passionately. In the dry and thirsty land, I will seek you. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house than dwell in the mansions of wickedness. God, you are my rock. God, you are my refuge. In my place of lack, you are my rock. And that is, talk about being real. Talk about clinging to what you need to cling to. It's something we also go into in depth in the journey of the heart. Proverbs 4.23 Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. We've guarded the wrong stuff. We've guarded our pain. We've guarded our offense. We've guarded our insecurity like this. And actually what that scripture is saying is guard your connection to the Father. Guard your connection to the Spirit. Guard your connection to the Son above all things. Let none of that stuff get in the way of poisoning your heart. Because the condition of your heart is determining the condition of your life. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> I can feel it. But when I look at the greatest spikes in our growth, they are often were birthed in seasons of great discomfort, when it was actually a little bit uncomfortable. When I look at our trip into Sudan, um, a war-torn country, how completely uncomfortable I became because I did not know God as my father and I did not know myself as his daughter. I was very confused about who I was. And I became so terrified for my life in that place. Um, issues around money in, in putting my name down for trips that I couldn't afford to go on, but feeling like the Lord was saying go. And what, I used to go to the travel agent and say, I'm here to book my ticket and be like, God, now would be a good time. And she'd be like, okay, there'll be 3,423 rand. I'd be like, I left my money, I'll be back. I'd go into my car and cry and be like, come on, Jesus, you said I must go. And then I went to work that day, I'll never forget. And then someone randomly from the church phoned me in the evening and was like, someone wants to deposit money into your account. Can you give us your banking details? I was like, sure, 3,492 rand, exactly, whatever. You know, just stories like that. But they broke something in me. It was uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to look like a fool in front of a travel agent. Um, standing on the Helses farm in, in 2015, coming face to face with my broken heart, with unforgiveness issues, with a bit of a poor mental health state, that was a huge spike in my growth when I look back. Hard conversations with friends where they've said, hey, there's a blind spot here and we want to point it out. Ugh! Uncomfortable! Or opportunity for growth. Getting saved um, a year after... Getting saved our first year in Joburg and having dated for four years unsaved was uncomfortable, people. 
in many ways. Um, giving our yes in the beginning to the collective, it was hard because we like we yes. Now everyone must be yes and yay with us, and everyone's like, hang on, we're still checking this thing out. Those beginning weeks were hard. They forced soil and all of us to churn for all of our heart motives to get checked. Uncomfortable is opportunity for growth. And I think when you have children, you see it even more in your face. You're like, what we're going to take ground of here, they're going to fly in. So it's worth it. Um, and I think something that's so profound, I remember Sean mentioned a, a little bit of this in his preach. It is so important to know what you need to be awake to and what you need to be asleep to. Because there's some things that Jesus is sleeping through and there's other things that he's staying awake all night with. So if you look at um, uh, the Gospels, and we get this account of Jesus being in the boat and there's a storm. And the waves are literally crashing into the boat and Jesus is asleep. He wasn't that tired. He was just that trusting. And sometimes there's storms going on in our lives and they're keeping us awake. And Jesus is like, can we please sleep? <laughs> hey, the, the word became flesh and slept amongst us. That's what I was thinking. I was like, he slept. The son of God slept. He didn't get the supernatural like, shot and from heaven where he stayed awake all the time. He slept just like you and I. So you should be able to sleep through some stuff too. But it's interesting what keeps him awake. Two instances he stays awake in scripture. One is before he's appointing the disciples. He prays all night till he's got this conviction in his heart of who those boys who are going to get to walk with me and be the guys that I pour my guts into for the next three years. That keeps him awake. And being in Gethsemane keeps him awake. He's telling everyone else, don't go to sleep at Gethsemane because you know what he's wrestling with? Father, your will be done, not mine. That's the stuff that should be keeping us awake. The areas in our lives where we need to be going, Lord, your will be done, not mine. This is what I want. Wrestle through that at night with the Lord. Don't sleep over that, but sleep through some other stuff. And I want to encourage you as you see some of these things that are holding you back, that are pulling you down, that are trying to keep you stuck when the Lord is like, come, let's go. I'm pouring out something new. You've got to own it. You can't give away anything before you've owned it. I can't give you anything of mine until if I actually don't own it. I can't say I have my car because actually technically West Bank owned my car. So it's no good me saying like I felt today the Lord is giving you my car. No, I can't give you something I don't own. You can only give Jesus what you're willing to own. He came to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> Ew. Cross that one out. I was talking about something this week, and I was re- I'm an external processor. Sometimes things come out of my mouth, and then I have to go process them afterwards with the Holy Spirit. And I was saying, that's easy for me. That thing is easy that this person was talking about. They were saying, oh, that looks hard. Wow, that would be hard for me. And I'm like, that's not hard for me. That's easy. I want the Lord to start giving me stuff that's hard for me. I want to love where it's hard. <laughs> but I do. That is, that is, what's the point? If it's all so cushy and comfortable, right? I come cry on your shoulders when I realize what the weight of what I've said. Guys, God has a long-standing history of calling those he loves into really uncomfortable situations. You should get, you should get comfortable in the uncomfortable Seriously, read scripture. It's chock full of stories of people who are uncomfortable. Because you know what happens in those places? You find out who you really are and who he really is. Don't take that in a heavy way. It's beautiful. Jesus was called to the ultimate discomfort so that we could escape eternal discomfort. He's a good father. 
He doesn't move us into situations that cause us discomfort simply because he wants to make our lives hard. He ushers us towards uncomfortable obedience so that we can experience his power, his comfort, and his joy and be conformed into the likeness of Jesus as we do. God's goal is to transform us into heavenly-minded people who cling to him in childlike dependence and who bow down to him in worshipful submission like Jesus did. He wants to pull us out of the slavery of self-preservation and bring us into the freedom of abandoning fleshy comfort for his glory and the good of others like Jesus did. When our good God calls us into difficult circumstances, he's prying us away from cheap happiness and inviting us into deep and vibrant joy. And that is the same joy that he talks about in the scriptures. It was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He saw the joy of us. He saw the joy of humanity reconciled in the arms of the Father. And he was like, it's worth it. It's worth it. A life of faith and obedience is not a comfortable one. But it is a rich, vibrant one. Saturated with power, with presence and provision. Who doesn't want power, presence and provision? I want to show you this video of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. I don't know how to say that. Emmaus. Um, the Hebrew root word for Emmaus is um, the burning place. So, let you watch the video. There was such a dodgy ad on it before when I showed Rose. Like, don't let don't let that part play.
What amazed me about that <clears throat> when I read that scripture was that Jesus didn't go about immediately soothing them. <laughs> he just let their hearts burn within them as he began to speak to them. And if you're experiencing something of divine discontentment, maybe you must pay attention to your burning heart and listen to what God wants to say to you in the burning of your heart. Maybe that burning heart is God saying to you, it's time to unlearn some old ways of thinking and behaving, stretch you into this new area of increased effectiveness, uncover some stuff he wants to transform inside of you. Raise your sights beyond yourself so you can see others in need. Push you to become something that you're much more capable of. Invite you into more of his kingdom coming and his will be done in your life. Are you uncomfortable? Consider that maybe God is behind it. And see where the warmth of your burning heart may take you. Bill Johnson says, 
A promise from God is not a magic coin that you get to cash in at will. It's an invitation to a process. Gifts are free, but maturity is expensive. I hope you're filled with the constant hope and expectation for good. I hope you're not discouraged. I hope you are able to recognize that when the Spirit does something, it does feel a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. Because He's actually pulling us into more. He's pulling us into the good things that He has for us. I hope you feel seen in what you're navigating and encouraged. I hope you'll read Deuteronomy with new eyes like I am being so encouraged. And I hope that if your heart burnt in places today, that you'll dialogue through that with the Holy Spirit this week in prayer, in community, in journaling. That you don't settle for comfortable, but you go after power, presence, and provision. That you feel the Father rooting for you on the sidelines of every square inch of your life. That scripture comes alive to us and we devour the word again. First love stuff. It's happening to me. My heart is that no one's left in a heavy place. <laughs> Sometimes you can hear things through it's the wrong way. Father, I just pray for us as you gloriously lead us into more. We want to be like those farmers in the video. Let's go get our canoes. It's <laughs> the last thing they say at the end of that video. And sometimes we just, we can get stuck, Father. But you want to come and you want to unstick us. And you want to walk on those roads with us and reveal to us what's really going on so that our hearts would burn again. So I pray today, Father, for anybody's heart who's, that's felt dull, like it's lost its burn. I pray that you would come and stir by the power of your Holy Spirit, stir things up, create a burning, 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 burning in our hearts again. A burning for the things, Father, that you are doing. And an embracing of this divine discomfort that's coming to unroot all the things that don't, we don't need to carry in our suitcases anymore so that we can run towards the promised land, Jesus. We can run to all that you want to pour out for us. And nothing holds us back. Lord, I thank you that right now there's a grace in this room for letting go of stuff that just does not need to be carried into the next season. Sometimes we come into completely new scenarios and situations and we're seeing it through the lens of, of old baggage and old pain and old wounds. And I feel like Jesus is just going to reveal right now that there's some stuff you do not have to worry about and you do not have to carry into the next season. You can walk forward with joy and with excitement. Father, I bless the, the more mature generation amongst us, Father, as so many of them are in deep transition and change. Bless them, Father. Bless them in this transition. And I thank you, Father, for this new era of the church where ministries are birthed inside of people who are apparently 90 years old. We heard that word last week. I thank you that there is still so much life to be lived and so much to impart. I thank you for the young wild ones amongst us, Father, who are ready and firing and ready to go. More, God. Add to that number. Add to that number. Add to that number. We want to see more Maddies and Mealers, more teenagers, Father. And for those of us who are maybe stuck in our 30s thinking something should have happened by now, what have we done with our lives? Father, I pray that you, you would come and do what only you can do, Jesus, is bring a deep awakening 
and that give us the eyes to see the way we should be seeing. To take the lenses of pressure and the society around us off of us and to be so deeply rooted in your kingdom, so deeply rooted in who you are, Jesus, that all things get put in their right perspective. Thank you for the way you chase us. Thank you for the way you love us. Come and do with us, Holy Spirit, what only you can do. We love you. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.ca.za.